0: You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to episode 50 of the Crisis in the Church series. Today, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, the day in which the priestly members of the Society of St. Pius X renew their vows to uphold tradition, we are ending the Crisis in the Church series. We thought that there would be no one better to give the final word in this series than the Superior General of the SSPX, Don Davide Pagliarani. He graciously agreed to take some time from his duties to give us his thoughts on what the traditional restoration of the church might look like after this major 50-year upheaval that we have experienced, and to finally give the answer, what is the solution to the crisis in the church? We'd like to say a very special thank you to all of the priests who have joined us during this series, and a special thank you to you for listening and watching. Now, let's join Father Pagliarani from Menzing in Switzerland. Well, for our last episode, we are very privileged and happy to welcome the Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X, Don Davide Pagliarani. Father, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to wrap up this series for us. And we're just going to dive right into the questions, Father. We have 10 questions to ask you all based on the theme what is the solution to the crisis in the church? Uh, So I'd like to start, Father, with a little bit of a personal question. And that is, what has your experience been of this crisis in terms of before you were a priest, as being a priest, and then now as being the superior general of the Society of St. Pius X? Good
1: morning, I'm very glad to have the opportunity to address these few words. To you, how can change the perception of the crisis of the church in a young man, a priest, and a superior general? It's a good question. I have to acknowledge this is the first time I'm wondering about myself from this uh, viewpoint. I think when we are young, uh, we have, first of all, the desire to save our soul, to form ourselves. I was attracted by the liturgy. I felt when I was young that it was worth it to give up everything for this cause. But when you are young, I realize now you hope you think that everything will be over within a few years. Maybe, maybe before your own ordination. And uh, moreover, when you are young, you don't feel the responsibility on others. Then when I became a priest, of course, I started to feel much more this responsibility on others. And I started to realize that solution is not uh, so easy. It's not coming so fast, quickly. And now, of course, as superior general, I feel much more this responsibility on the members of society, on the faithful. And I would say also, on all the people who are observing the society from outside. Because I'm convinced that we have something, we kept something which doesn't belong to us and we kept it, not only for us, but even for them. Mm -hmm. So, my concern is not only about the society, but even about all those people that we would like to reach and uh, we would like with them to share the same treasure. And of course, as a spiritual general, I realize more and more that you have to be patient mm-hmm. and the solution of the crisis uh, is not at hand.
0: How would you summarize the role of the Society of St. Pius Tenth? in the church within the church as part of the church recovering from this crisis, uh, has the role of the society of St. Bias the 10th changed since its founding?
1: I would summarize everything saying that the role of the society is to keep, as I mentioned, an, inheritance, a treasure which doesn't belong to us. This treasure is the treasure of the Church. If we keep this treasure, it's for the Church and even against the will of the men of the Church. And this inheritance is the Holy Mass, is priesthood, is tradition. So this role of the society, this providential role didn't change, and it cannot change. But circumstances in the church change, and they are still changing. There is an evolution. We can say right now, after, after 50 years, after so many ups and downs, that in Rome, they think that uh, the time to tolerate tridentine mass is over. Mm -hmm. This is a statement of uh, Cardinal Parodine. But we can say that the motu proprio Traditionis Custodes of the last uh, 16th of July goes in the same direction this Mass is not tolerated anymore as the expression of a particular way of conceiving the Church, of conceiving spiritual life, of uh, conceiving the priesthood. So our role now, even more than before, is to keep this Mass as the expression of another way to conceive the church, to conceive the priesthood and to conceive spiritual life. I think think this is the, the role of society. It didn't change. But now we have new reasons. The more time goes on, the more we have reasons to stick to this role. And to make all souls who will understand that there is not another option, right? The only option which works right now in the church is to keep tradition in its integrality. And this is the option of the society sometimes.
0: I have a question that you might find is a, a little bit humorous father, um, and, or improbable, but If you were asked for advice by a newly elected pope, say the next pope, what would you urge him to do in order to help the situation in the church?
1: Well, this question makes me laugh a little bit. I think it's impossible to answer this question as such right now. It is merely hypothetical. I think the new Pope could ask for the advice of the Superior General of the Society in a different situation, not right now. Uh, I think before such an event could take place, a new Pope would have uh, already a group of cardinals, bishops supporting him, and the church would have already at that moment the means, the opportunity, and already a certain certain steps in that direction. It's not the case now, but the question is interesting. Uh, I would summarize everything in three points. Of course, if the Pope would give me more time, I would uh, develop (laughs) more. First of all, I think uh, a Pope has to preach the truth, has to preach the faith, every part of our faith even all the dharmas that nowadays are not very, very pleasing to the world, to the ecumenism. A pope has to be this freedom, has to recuperate this freedom, to preach the truth and to condemn the errors. Because when we love the truth and we preach the truth, and we seek for the triumph of truth, we condemn the error. We cannot love if we don't hate also. Mm. It's an illusion. It's a very modern illusion to love without hating. It's possible. A second advice I will will give to the is to care, first of all, about the formation of priests. Mm -hmm. Because uh, it is uh, in the nature itself of the Church to be fostered through the sacraments and, by consequence, through the priesthood. The priesthood, in this perspective, is the canal that our Lord choose to sanctify souls, to sanctify His Church. So, as much as a Pope takes care of the formation of priests, he will work on the regeneration Mm. of the Church. There is another point, the third one, of course, uh, in that hypothetical situation. Right. <laughs> A pope cannot govern the church only with the statements, with decrees and cyclicals. Mm-hmm. A pope does govern the church through the assignment, appointing good bishops and removing the bad ones. It's not always politically correct to do that but I think uh, to regenerate the church a lot of bishops they would have to be removed or at least as they, they know to do very well in Rome they should be invited to resign. In Rome they know how to do that. <laughs> But of course, uh, again, I think uh, the society has a lot of time to wonder about uh, which kind of uh, advice we could go to a new pope. Sure, sure. Uh,
0: Father, we we've looked at this this series how the crisis proceeded by stages. It didn't happen all at once. Do you think that a restoration would happen? in the same way, or it will need to happen in the same way.
1: Well, I'm not a prophet, even (laughs) if I bear the name of a prophet. (laughs) Uh, we have to state first that God remains free, of course, to choose the best way to restore his church. He loves his church. He shared all his blood for his church. And of course, uh, he will choose the best way out of love for his church. The sure we can nevertheless make uh, a conjecture. Okay. The church we have to remember always is both human and divine if God allowed this, church, this crisis which shows much more the human side of the church if God allowed uh, this crisis which uh, is hiding the divine side of the church most probably it is because uh, the triumph of the Church and the manifestation of its divinity will be proportional to the present crisis, Mm. to the present tragedy. So I would say, on the one hand, certainly God will uh, show the divinity of of, uh, his Church. And uh, it will be clear for to anybody, to any man of goodwill, that the Church will start its regeneration by an intervention of God, mm. by divine providence. At the same time, the Church remains human the Church is settled in this world and the human understanding, the human evolutions, they are done, they are accomplished according to human nature and uh, they always go by steps. So I think uh, that God will uh, regenerate his church, both manifesting, manifesting the divine side, manifesting his providence, his intervention, and at the same time, according to the normal laws of evolution among human beings.
0: So following up on this, Father, is there anywhere that we are seeing this restoration starting?
1: I would say that, uh, the restoration didn't start, mm. but the restoration is approaching, there is one sign, mm. quite meaningful one, which uh, is telling us the restoration is approaching. Okay but we have to detect the sign. We have to understand the sign. The more a situation becomes hopeless, the more the the moment of the rescue is close. Mm. And as we said before, the triumph of the truth would be proportional to the present tragedy. We cannot say, we cannot state that the the restoration started, but the awareness of the crisis became all over the world much wider, mm-hmm. much more people are aware in any country of the crisis. I think uh, this is uh, uh, a new element we have to take uh, into account. Because uh, during the last uh, 50 years, the, the understanding of the crisis, and by consequence, the reaction to the crisis was different, was quite different according to the situations, according to the countries. Nowadays, for uh, several providential elements, everybody in every different local situation is able to detect this crisis. And uh, of course, the awareness of the crisis, the awareness of the causes of the crisis is a first condition, is a premise for a restoration and this awareness is there especially among faithful and uh, quite a number of priests and uh, in Rome of course they are aware of this reaction, and I think it is one of the causes of uh, the mortal proprio of last July, because I think in you know, Rome they got a bit scared, and so they felt the need to to put a foot stop, to try to put a foot stop. To this uh, growing interest about tradition, about traditional Mass. Hmm.
0: Next, Father, I'd like to look at how Vatican II will be seen um, in the future, once this restoration does inevitably come. How do you think Vatican II will be seen? Will parts of it be condemned? Will it be clarified? Will the whole thing just be forgotten? How, how will Vatican II be seen?
1: But again, <laughs> well, <of> i <it>. Okay. <laughs> I guess, we can guess, the first of all, the authority of the Council has to be redefined. Mm. The main problem of the Council is... Uh, at the basis of the Council. It's a new magisterium. It's a new teaching. It's a new way of conceiving the teaching of the Church. The problem of the Council is not just uh, in its uh, contents. The problem of the Council is first of all in this new approach, new way of teaching. New authority, new magisterium. So the council has to put at its place first. Hmm. This is the key, I think, for to solve this major problem. Then concerning the the teaching, the different teaching of the council, but there are elements in the council that cannot be accepted, they have to be rejected as such, like the ecumenism. It's impossible to interpret uh, the ecumenism in a Catholic way, the ecumenism ecumenism as it is taught in the Council. There are other elements, ambiguous, they have to be clarified. And then there are other elements in the Council, in the Council, which are repetition, quotation of the previous Magisterium, of the Fathers of the Church, and, of course, they are in continuity with uh, the traditional teaching of the Church. So, theoretically, we could keep this uh, distinction, we could put, uh, we, could, we could create uh, these three classes of elements. But, concretely, the heart of the Council, the essence of the Council, is in its errors. The real Council, the Council which changed the Church, the Council which transformed the Church and made the Church as uh, uh, we can uh, see it now uh, well this art is in the new teaching in the errors of the Council the good quotations of the Church Fathers or of the previous uh, Magisterium they look more as a frame to this heart of the council. So I think it's impossible to forget the council as such. It would be easier, but I think it's impossible. The council most probably will be passed over. In any case, a future Pope will have all the prudence, the the necessary prudence to handle this uh, issue, which is uh, extremely delicate.
0: Speaking of moving on from Vatican II, the Reformed liturgy is for most Catholics the most visible sign of the changes in the Church. In a Reformation or Restoration of Tradition, the new Mass would need to be phased out. Is a phasing out the best way to do it? Like adding in the new, the traditional Offertory or Ad Orientum back? Or should the traditional liturgy be mandated immediately? What do you think is the most prudent way forward in this restoration of the liturgy, Father?
1: I think to answer this question, we have to make uh, a distinction. Because... uh, one thing is the particular case of a particular priest in a particular parish. And uh, something completely different is the role of the church, the way of acting of the church. There are priests that started in the past to correct the new mass by steps. They started to introduce the Offertory, traditional Offertory. They started to say the Mass, Holy Mass ad orientem. They started to use the liturgical language, the Latin. They started by step and they realized that Holy Mass Holy liturgy, traditional Mass is a whole and as such has to be uh, treated and received. So they arrive by step to this conclusion, to celebrate the traditional liturgy liturgy only. But this is a personal path of... uh, some priests. For the church as such, this position is different. Of course, the church has the authority to reform the liturgy because the church did this in the past. But always in continuity with tradition. The church in the past used to add some prayers to reorganize some part of the worship. For instance, of the X is in the history of the church, the great reformer of the Roman reverie. There is not in the history of the church another uh, reform concern, concerning the divine office so important, so huge, like the reform of St. Pius X. Hmm. But all he did, even if uh, he was uh, criticized and still is is criticized by somebody, but all he did was in continuity with the tradition. The divine office improved and didn't lose anything mm. of its beauty and uh, of its essence. So, to be a traditional Catholic doesn't mean that We deny this authority of the Church on uh, its rights, provided any reform is done in continuity with tradition. And for this reason, new mass cannot be the basis for a better new mass. Right. The new mass cannot be the basis for a reform which will correct progressively that right till it will become Catholic. This is not uh, a logical perspective. that was the great illusion of Pope Benedict to put beside the new Mass the old Mass in order to start the reform of the reform a kind of mutual fecundation between the two rights It didn't work It couldn't work. Because we cannot take the new mass in order to improve something which uh, is not done for that. Something which is conceived in a completely different perspective. That's why this experience of the reform of the reform of Pope Benedict. I'm not judging his intentions. I just try to read the the facts. Uh, it was a failure. It was a failure. It didn't uh, lead anywhere. And uh, the last motu proprio of Pope Francis. And directly declared that experience as a failure. Yeah. Pope Francis rejected that experience because actually, instead of uh, fecundating each other, the two rites they made a kind of war one to the other, mm-hmm. and that's understandable, because as we said before. They are the expression of two different conception of the priesthood and of the church, which are not uh, compatible. In the case, I think that uh, the day when Christianity will discover again what she lost, will not be eager to have uh, changes for at least a few centuries.
0: Father, what about all of the the tangential changes that have taken place in the last 50 years that many traditional Catholics aren't as familiar with? The new saints, the new calendar, different disciplinary laws. Is there a risk of being stuck in amber, so to speak, if we just keep the previous saints and laws? How will the end of the crisis resolve
1: these things? First of all, we have to remember that the church is prudent. It means uh, wise and realistic. And the church is prudent, wise and realistic, both on the doctrinal and on the practical side. We have to realize that uh, the restored church when the church will be restored, will be a church gone through the crisis, both humiliated and purified by the crisis. So, a church which will get a new wisdom, so to speak. Mm. A new vision and most of all, a new grace. We have to get rid of the the idea that the restoration is the equivalent of the the erasing of an era. Ah. We close our eyes on a segment of the history, it's impossible. It's not realistic. The restored church will draw out a new lesson, a great lesson from the crisis. Mm. So the church will be purified. And uh, through this purification, the Pope, the hierarchy, they will have all the means they need to clarify what needs to be clarified as we said the the starting of the crisis of the church of the present crisis is a crisis of the magisterium the particular feature of this current crisis and the main difference which all the other crises of the Church throughout history is the crisis of the magisterium. Once the magisterium will be restored, this magisterium will have all the graces, the means to settle every issue, to clarify what uh, needs to be clarified to clarify every doubt. And of course, everybody will uh, be at peace.
0: Then we looked at this question a little bit in detail last week, father. This is about how the lady can help in the crisis in the church. And I'll ask this question a little bit differently from how I asked father Sherry last week. So my question is, How can the laity maintain a balance between errors like sedevacantism on one hand and compromise on the other?
1: Both of these two errors come from the same root or, even better, from the same attitude. What's that? It's the idea that in the middle of this crisis, uh, a crisis which uh, has not anything equivalent in the history of the Church, we are able and we must find out a satisfying explanation capable to explain logically everything. It's, uh, I would say, a kind of uh, intellectual need in this uh, sense, in this direction. But the very fact that the same attitude produced opposite conclusions.
0: Mm.
1: The very fact that even inside the city of acantism, you can find out different options not compatible among themselves, is the proof that uh, those uh, efforts and those explanations cannot provide the certitude they strove to reach. We have to accept that uh, in the current crisis. There is something unspeakable. There is a mystery. There is a part of mystery. How could God allow this crisis? Why he allow this crisis? It's impossible to answer. We can uh, make uh, some uh, conjectures as we tried even during this uh, interview but God reserved for himself this part of mystery in order to show when the moment will come that he will provide the solution and he will provide the explanation all the explanations we need for his church according to his will according to his divine perspective. In other terms, the Church is both human and divine. And uh, this explanation we look for, we would desire, cannot be provided only through human efforts, human elements. It's not the crisis of a company. This is not the crisis of a normal society. This is a crisis of the church, which is both human and divine. And I, as a conclusion, I would say also that other people are faithful. with the same intention to find out a satisfying explanation to this crisis, at the end, they lost their faith. Mm. They couldn't accept this part of mystery. And that's quite uh, dangerous. They couldn't stand the scandal. There is a scandal in this, uh, in the present crisis. Our Lord uh, told uh, the apostles, told uh, each one of us, you will be scandalized. There are things that you will not understand. Stick to your faith, Mm -hmm. stick to tradition, stick to all the means I gave you and I will provide you to keep your faith and your spiritual life till the end of time. And every explanation we provided at its time.
0: So, Father, the final the final word, the final final question, what ultimately is the solution to the crisis in the church?
1: This is the last question. But it's the main question, and the question which uh, does summarize uh, anything we could say. First, we have to understand that the solution is not in something we have to do or to understand. The solution of the crisis uh, is not in a better understanding of something. The solution of the crisis is, as much as it depends on us, of course, because the solution is in the hands of God, but as much as it depends on us, the solution of the crisis is something we have to be. Mm. And this is our sanctification, our desire to give up everything in order to stick to our Lord only once we understand that and we live this idea everything will follow our Lord came into this world bringing a fire and uh, right now he wants that we take this fire and we put this fire in our soul to encandle our soul and through our souls to encandle the others. This is the solution of the crisis. Mm. In the history of the Church, the great reformers, the reformers faithful to the Church, but they've been the saints through their holiness. They purified the church, they sanctified themselves and the others. If we don't understand this and if we don't practice this, whatever we could say, we could understand, we could teach would be useless. If we stick to tradition, If we stick to Holy Mass, if we prefer to die before losing this Mass, it is because we want to stick to our Lord only. Mm. That's the meaning of a traditional Catholic. To be a traditional Catholic means that and nothing else. And if the society, sometimes the 10th, is putting all its efforts in the formation of priests, it's because the priesthood is the way our Lord chose in order to sanctify souls. There is not another reason. And that's why, in one word, that's why the society, sometimes the 10th, is necessary. Mm. God could. Have chosen another mean. He did choose uh, this one. And that's why we have uh, a duty and uh, it is necessary that we carry on with this mission. Thank you so much. Thank you, Father.
0: Thank you for listening to and watching episode 50 of our Crisis in the Church series here on the SSPX Podcast. Next week, Father Paul Isaac Franks and I will have a special wrap-up episode. It'll be an informal, just a conversation between the two of us where we recap the entire 50-episode series, give some final thoughts, and also preview what will be coming up next for the SSPX Podcast and these video series. I hope you'll join us. Until next week, thank you for listening, and God bless you.